Today we bring to a close a series of lessons entitled, What's Next? To give you a clue as to how long we've been studying this, when we began this series, the temperature was exactly twice what it is today. <laughs> we started last August and we have worked our way down heaven's timeline. Best I can tell, the future looks something like this. God declared in the creation his intent. Absolutely important is the fact that our God sees the end from the beginning, and he declared the end in the beginning when he established his desire, and that is to live forever in a perfect world with his perfect children. Adam and Eve did not keep their end of the agreement, but that does not mean in any shape or form that God changed his mind. He still has declared the end from the beginning. And the end includes a creation made perfect for his children made perfect. This was affirmed in covenants God made that we looked at, covenants to Abraham, covenants to David, covenants to Jeremiah, and all of history is governed by those covenants. This was further articulated in prophecies. Most specifically, we looked at a prophecy in the book of Daniel. It's a bit cryptic, but it's very important because this particular prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9 portends the arrival of a time of tribulation as well as our earliest indication of someone in the tribulation, the Antichrist. Of course, the life of Jesus changed history. And after the life of Jesus, we entered a new age, the church age, and this is where we find ourselves currently. This does not mean that only those in the Gentile world are going to be saved, just the opposite. But God is using the Gentile world to reach even into the Jewish world that the gospel may go around the world. This church age will come to an end at some point. And at the end of this church age, when God sees it right to happen, he will rapture his church. He will rescue us. It's my belief that we will not be here during the tribulation, but he will rescue us, bring us into his presence. And during those seven years, we will be awarded by Christ, will be recognized, and will be wedded to Christ. While celebration is happening in heaven, there will be tribulation, unlike any the world has ever seen, Jesus said, during these seven years. But even the tribulation will have bright spots. The greatest revival in human history will happen during these seven years. And then Christ will return, and we will return with him, and Christ will establish his earthly kingdom. Revelation chapter 20 speaks six times about the millennium, or the thousand year reign of Christ. God will have his garden, and we will reign in that garden with him for a thousand years. And then at the end of that millennium, one more event has to happen, and that is the resurrection of the wicked and the willingly evil. Those who have turned their back on God, spend a lifetime telling God to leave you alone, and in the end, he will do just that. The willingly wicked will be judged at the great white throne judgment. Believers will not be there. Believers do not need to worry about the great white throne judgment. We were judged when we said yes to Jesus and he covered our sins in the blood of Christ on the cross. After the great white throne judgment, every human who has ever lived 
the billions upon billions who have ever lived will either enter into eternal life or eternal death. If you're saved, you need to know that this life is as bad as your life will ever be. This life will be as bad as your life will ever be. If you're not saved, you need to know that this life is as good as your life will ever be. For the Christian, we see that this world is a torture chamber compared to what awaits us. It is so beautiful, so glorious, that no one has ever fathomed it. We move forward by faith, but we do recognize that this time on earth is so brief, and the big plan of this life is to make a decision about the next life. For that reason, at the conclusion of today's message, we'll offer a salvation prayer, and all of us who believe in Christ will articulate that prayer, and we're praying that some will say that prayer for the very first time. And if so, we'll ask you to stand, not to embarrass you. No, just the opposite, to encourage you. But where are we on this timeline? Well, that's the question for this final message, and we're going to call it fourth quarter as we look at the proximity of the end. Let's pray together, and then we'll get to work. Have mercy, please, O Lord, upon your teacher. His sins are many. Help us to see Jesus, just Jesus. You promised us that the Holy Spirit would speak to us of things that are to come. Speak to us, please. Thank you that you have not kept the future a secret. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can face the future because we know what you will do in the future. Through Jesus we pray. And all God's people said. On an evening in May 1948, President Harry Truman signed this two-paragraph proclamation. This government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine, and recognition has been requested by the provisional government thereof. The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the state of Israel. The phrase state of Israel was actually handwritten because no one knew what to call the country until the final moments. Israel was reborn. What other nation in human history has been promised land by God, been removed from that land, and then returned to that land? None. Only Israel. And this reinstatement, this regathering of Jewish people to Israel was prophesied many times in scripture. One example is in the book of Ezekiel. I will take you from the nations and gather you out of the lands and bring you back into your own land. Ezekiel 36 and 24. Two, three, 400 years ago, such a prophecy seemed un- impossible to fulfill. And yet that prophecy was fulfilled on May 14th, 1948. The last of the last days, The last of the last days began when the Jews were given their land. Why do we say this? Because almost all of the prophecies that we have looked at over the last three months hinge upon a repopulated Israel. We looked at the prophecy in the book of Daniel that speaks of a covenant between Antichrist and Israel. Well, this can only happen if there is an Israel. 
It also prophesies the rebuilding of a temple. Again, Israel must exist for there to be a third temple. Daniel and Jesus both forecast an act of utter sacrilege in that temple. Jesus called it the abomination of the desolation. No Israel, no temple. The war of Armageddon that will take place upon the return of Christ before the thousand year reign only makes sense if Israel is occupying the land where the Armageddon is found. So a Jewish repopulation of the state is a key moment, a super sign among all the other signs that tell us that we are entering the final moments. We can confidently declare that we are in the fourth quarter. That was my job on the high school football team. I was in that group of five or six players that always sat on the bench. We never got to play. We weren't bad enough to get cut, but we weren't good enough to get on the field. But we did have a job. We mongrels of high school football had a job. And that is we were to announce to everybody the fourth quarter. As if on cue, per the instruction of our coach, when the fourth quarter began, the six of us would run up and down the sidelines with four fingers in the air shouting, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, as if nobody knew. (laughs) But the truth is, some people didn't know, and some of the players needed to be awakened. As we look at the signs in which the Lord is leading us to the next era of history, I believe we can confidently state that we have entered the fourth quarter. Again, to be clear, Jesus said, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The exact time that Christ comes for his church has been kept hidden from us. But even though we don't know the date, we do know the signs. And we have been instructed by God to look for the signs. Now, you know how signs work. You see them whenever you're on the road. And wise is the driver, right, who learns to pay attention to the signs. For example, when you see this sign. (laughs) You don't know where the water is. You don't know exactly how much water there will be. But you know, you better pay attention. How about this one? All over San Antonio. (laughs) You don't know where the construction is. You don't know when in the world it'll be finished. But you know the sign is there for a purpose. So wise is the driver who pays attention. How about this sign? Wait. (laughs) Who put that there? That must be a sign from heaven. (laughs) We want to obey the signs, don't we? Jesus has not given us the hour of his return, but he has urged us over and over to pay attention to the signs. For example, consider this, the teaching of Jesus from Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, when we begin to see these with increased frequency and intensity, we know we're close to the end. Some of your translations say all of these are the beginning of birth pains. I've never experienced a birth pain, but I have it on good authority that as the hour of delivery gets closer, the intensity of the birth pains increase and the frequency increases. Any amen from any sisters? Jesus compares the signs of the end to the beginning of birth pains, painful and increasingly common. So with that in mind, let's just look at what Jesus said again. Judge for yourself if the same can't be said of the signs we are seeing right now in our generation. Sign number one, Jesus said there'll be deception. He said, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will deceive many. One of the signs of end times is increased deception. There is a pandemic of deception taking place in our day. Now there's always been deception on the planet Ever since Satan deceived Eve, there's been a demonic presence of deception, but there's a flurry of deception taking place. It causes us to scratch our heads and say, why are people believing this? One Messiah or would-be Messiah after another comes and says, if only you had this, you'd be satisfied. If only you did that, you'd be satisfied. A perfect example is sexuality. We read about people wanting to change their gender. We read about the marriage definition getting redefined. We read about immorality on every street. Why, there was a time, I'm old enough to remember the Dick Van Dyke show in which the husband and wife were, according to the network, required to sleep in twin beds. Not even husband and wives were perceived in the same bed. And that was early in, I know I'm getting old, but it wasn't that old long ago. It's getting quicker. The ongoing revolution has so normalized sexual immorality that we hardly notice it when an unmarried couple in a television show or movie sleeps together or the main character has an affair. It's moving fast. And lest we churchgoers get too smug, there we need to be reminded Our generation has seen unprecedented immoral deception in churches, in churches. There is a tsunami of scandals. A report from France documents 330,000 cases of ministry abuse in the Catholic Church. The largest denomination, the largest evangelical denomination in America has recently been accused of more sexual cover-ups. So we just shudder to think how many people have opted out on faith because faith leaders have not behaved faithfully. But Jesus prepared us for this. He said, people will come saying, I'm the Christ. Just do what I tell you. I can deliver you. I can give you. I can satisfy you. It continues. Sign number two, global conflict. Global conflict, Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but 
the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. Of the past 3,400 years of recorded history, humans have been war free for only 268 years, or 8% of them. Cain was violent first, but we are violent still. Yet in the last few decades, the world has seen a new level of unprecedented global conflict. The phrase nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, is a Hebrew idiomatic expression that refers to a unique kind of war. This is not a regional conflict. This is a global conflict. Have we seen this? Twice, twice in the last century, we've seen wars rise to the level they're called world wars. One, World War II, and we're hearing rumblings of World War III. A pivotal war is happening right now. It's a regional conflict, and we're all praying it remains a regional conflict, but it shows the potential of global catastrophe. On October 7th, Hamas invaded Israel and brutally slaughtered 1,400 people. The express statement, the purpose statement of Hamas is destroy Israel. Israel retaliated, ground offensive that has resulted in the deaths of 13,000 plus Palestinians is tragic. It's horrible, it's unspeakable. The entire world is watching and taking sides. But students of scripture are watching and taking note. God told us things like this would begin happening at the end of time. Specific prophecies about Israel, geographical Israel being attacked were written Thousands of years ago, can I give you one example? 3,000 years ago, a prophet who was also a worship leader by the name of Asaph offered this prayer that's found in the 83rd Psalm. Speaking to God, he said, don't you hear the tumult and commotion of your enemies? Don't you see what they're doing, these proud men who hate the Lord? They are full of craftiness and they plot against your people, laying plans to slay your precious ones. Look at this. Come, they say, and let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of her existence. This was their unanimous decision at their summit conference. They signed a treaty to ally themselves against the Almighty God. These Ishmaelites, Edomites, Moabites, and Hagrites People from the lands of Gebal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, and Tyre, Assyria has joined them too and is allied with the descendants of Lot. So Asaph envisions a time in which a 10 nation confederacy will come against Israel for the purpose of destroying her. Now this prophecy sounds odd because we don't recognize the names and locations of these countries. So let me give you their modern day equivalent. The tents of Edom, those are Palestinians and Southern Jordanians. The Ishmaelites, Saudis. Moab, Palestinian and Central Jordanians. Hagrites, those are the Egyptians. Gabal, Hezbollah in Northern Lebanese. Ammon, Palestinians in Northern Jordanians. Amalek, that's referring to the Arabs of Sinai. Philistia, there's Hamas of Gaza. Tyre, 
that's Hezbollah, and southern Lebanese, Assyria, Syrians, and northern Iraq. Now, not all of these players are on the world stage, but quite a few of them are rattling their sabers. Are we seeing the fulfillment of the Psalm 83 war? I do not know. But I do know that unlike any other time, we are beginning to see the players take their place in the final drama. What's more, excuse me, what's more, do we not live in an era of what one button push away from worldwide destruction? I do not have global, I'm sorry, I do not have security clearance, but I do know how to Google. So I Googled the question, how many nations have nuclear weapons? Anyone want to take a guess? Nine. Nine nations have the potential to destroy much of our planet just with the push of a button. Max, you're so full of good news today. (laughs) Well, actually, I do have good news. The good news is Jesus, who warned us of these days, will deliver us from these days. The birth pains will continue. The frequency of deception and division will increase. But Jesus will protect us until he comes and he will deliver us once he comes. For that reason, right in the heart of these prophecies, Jesus said, now see to it that you're not troubled. How can I watch the evening news and not be troubled? Well, I can tell myself, Jesus said this would happen. He will watch over us. He's still the almighty. He's still in control. The most popular word in the book of Revelation, the most popular name for God in the book of Revelation is almighty, almighty. And in Greek, it means he holds together, holds together. He's the one who holds it all together. So while everyone else is freaking out, while everyone else is being done in by the bad news, not you, God told you what to expect. It's going to increase in intensity, increase in frequency, but don't be afraid. Don't let yourself be troubled. Jesus also had something to say about global disasters, global disasters. He said there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. We would assume in advanced culture like ours that famine would be a thing of the past, just the opposite. Today on our planet, according to the World Food Program, there are 345 million people facing high levels of food insecurity. 345 million people. Three years ago, that number was 200 million. It's increasing in intensity and frequency. Famine still rages, so do pestilences. If COVID-19 caught us anything, it taught us that airborne diseases are impossible to avoid. And as our world grows smaller, it's quite likely the next time you're in an airport, you're going to be inhaling something that was exhaled in China because we're transporting around the globe these pestilences. It might surprise you to know that the level of global pestilences is limited to the last hundred years or so. But in the last hundred years, we've seen first the Hong Kong flu that took more than a million lives, 
Then came HIV, AIDS, the swine flu, SARS, MERS, Ebola, COVID-19. One study says that over the next decade, pandemics like COVID-19 will increase three times. Again, Max, you're just full of good news. Famine on the rise, pandemics are increasing. Surely earthquakes, there are not more earthquakes than there used to be. Well, according to the United States Geological Society, there are. They stopped tracing or tracking earthquakes that measured less than 4.5 in magnitude way back in 2009 because they couldn't keep up with them all. The number of earthquakes measuring 6.3 and higher has increased every decade since the early 1900s. Deception, division, disaster, all on the upswing. Now again, there are those who say, well, Max, this has always been going on. Indeed it has, but not to this frequency and not with the super sign of Israel repopulating the land of Israel. These two details set apart our generation from any generation since the Garden of Eden. Which makes me wonder, could we be that generation that witnesses the return of Christ? He could come for the church at any moment. In the ancient scriptures, there was a group of men called the men of Issachar, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. They were applauded for understanding the times and determining how to live in them. These are the twin convictions of a healthy Christian. So as we know we're in the fourth quarter, as we sense this is the ninth inning, as we're aware there is far more sand in the bottom of the hourglass than in the top, how should we then live? Citizens of 16th Century New England needed an answer for a similar question. On May 19th, 1780, the New England sky became so dark that people thought it was nighttime. Birds returned to their nests. Farm animals uh, began to cry out in fear. A commerce came to a close. Many people wondered if the world had come to an end. The Connecticut legislature legislature was in session. The politicians saw the gathering darkness outside and assumed that something apocalyptic was about to happen. One man raised his hand and suggested an adjournment so that everybody could go home and get their houses ready for judgment. At that, Abraham Davenport rose to his feet. This highly respected and well-regarded 65-year-old lawmaker from Sanford spoke against the adjournment. He said, well, the day of judgment is either approaching or not. If not, there's no need for an adjournment. If there is, if it is, then I just want to be found doing my duty. I suggest that somebody light some candles. And so they did. The darkness passed. That mysterious eclipse was caused by smoke from Canadian forest fires, it turns out. Jesus did not return that day, but he will return someday. So I'll make these my final exhortation in this sermon series. What's next? Live a life of faith. Live today as if Jesus were returning today, and if he doesn't return today, do it again tomorrow. 
live every day looking for the blessed return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be like Mr. Davenport who said, I just choose to be found doing my duty. The apostle Peter said, since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? Daily expect the day of God, eager for its arrival. There's no reason to fear the future when you know who holds the future, amen? We can be like that Roman sentinel found in Pompeii. You recall the story of the volcano Vesuvius and when it erupted, it took out the entire city. The diggers have long since exhumed the bodies of many, many people. Many people went high into towers thinking they could avoid the disaster. Many people went low into hidden caverns thinking they could avoid the disaster, but no one could. But there was one person who did not go high, he did not go low. He was a Roman sentinel. And as the hardened ash was removed from around his body, he was found standing on his feet, still holding his weapon, still at his post. When he saw the end coming, he was found doing his duty. As we see the end coming, may we do the same. What do we do knowing the Lord is going to come? You don't need to go sell everything. You don't need to run to the mountains. You don't need to hide out. You just need to do what a Christian does. Love the poor, care for the lost, comfort the bereaved, share the gospel, be the light of the world, and trust that Christ will come at the right time in the right way for the right reasons. And keep your eyes looking to that eastern sky from which he will appear. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you that you have told us what to expect. Father, since we know what's next, we don't have to fear what's now. We thank you for that. And we offer this prayer in Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So our prayer is that somebody would say yes to Jesus today for the first time. The Bible teaches us that if we'll confess his name to others, he will confess our name to the heavenly father. When someone says yes to Jesus, it's as if Jesus then turns to the heavenly father and says that person's name. And that person's name is heard in heaven and recorded in the book of life. One way to say yes to Jesus is by offering a prayer of salvation. We're gonna all say this prayer out loud together. And if today's your first day to say this prayer, then we'll ask you to stand up and you'll hear the loudest round of applause you've ever heard in your whole life, except the one that's waiting on you when you get to heaven. Let's pray together. Please repeat after me. Jesus, I'm not perfect, for I have sinned, but I believe in you. Save me, change me, forgive me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen.